0: Offered to show Ray Goatsy again, my Goatsy, <laughs> and he said no.
1: So for <laughs> so it once. I th- I figure once is enough. Once a I'm year, good. Once a year, I'm I set. Think... Once a year, and goatee, a bit thing.
0: like um shaving or going to <laughs> church. you, you need right? to do it once a year just as it's, it's a top up.
1: Yeah, yeah. refresh, <laughs> revitalize, Re- yes, recharge. Alright, recharge. Over with.
0: Yeah. You know, some people go away on a meditation retreat once a year to charge their batteries. I just right? sit and stare at Goatsey for a day just to remind myself uh, trying to really what get humans into are capable it. of if they right. really set their minds to
1: it. Right. Oh, and you're never disappointed, are you? No, I'm always come away inspired.
0: No. I could go, I go, look, my life in many ways is a complete fucking mess, but. <laughs> I'm not taking photos of myself
1: <laughs> spreading, spreading my, my ass cheeks as wide prolapsed <laughs> asshole
0: like goats <laughs> and posting it on the internet.
1: Yeah, it's all relative. I'm not. I'm not there it's yet. Not there yet. No, no. Give it a couple more years. We'll see. <laughs> That's what I'll
0: be. We'll reju- I saw- That's what I'll be reduced to doing for money.
1: <laughs> now you just do it for free. But anyway, uh <laughs> I saw you live on Facebook um when you were saying that yeah there's stuff you want to cover in the future if if either you or I are not dead in jail picked up by the CIA and I'm, and I started thinking, yeah, actually this it's probably not good for me to be working with you, but I'm screwed now, so I mean it's in, Yeah, it is. So why stop the ride exactly. now? You're, yeah. You're okay. In. You can't All right. get
0: out. You're associated.
1: <laughs> a bit like... Tainted, I think, is the word you're looking a for. A bit yeah.
0: like our old friend, the Reverend James Fifield, was tainted with his connection <laughs> with the corporate titans of America.
1: Oh, <laughs> Was he making too much money? Oh, So in our last episode, anyway.
0: 123, yeah. we were talking about James Fifield. He took this job running this church in Los Angeles, if you yeah. recall. Father Coghlan. Father Coghlan was an anti-communist Christian preacher, uh, but right. he was also kind of anti-capitalist. He had he had mm-hmm. two out of the th- right three criteria. He <laughs> hated the commies, hated FDR and the New Deal, right. but he also hated yes. capitalism. Um, James Fifield yeah. hated the commies, hated <laughs> right. FDR and the New Deal, but love right. capitalism. Ding ding
1: ding ding, yeah, ding ding ding. Yeah, yeah. We have a winner. Have a winner. So
0: like when they're uh, doing the uh, <laughs> extremist preacher jackpot uh, at, the, at the on the pokies, <laughs> to, you know, poker machines. Um, he right? came up you when know, all the money came flooding out of the little oh. thing in the thing. Um, it literally now did. in his private correspondence, James Fifield. Uh, made it perfectly clear that for him, right. the main threat to the American way of life wasn't Joseph Stalin <laughs> and the Soviets. It wasn't. No, it was it was uh, inside. It was an inside job. It was Washington. Right. It was
1: Washington <laughs> right.
0: that he and his friends were scared of, not Moscow. He wrote. In one of his letters, and I think this was to uh, Mr. Pugh, the inventor of the laser gun sound. Um, He wrote, There is a very much accelerated response to the efforts of spiritual mobilisation. Remember, that was the name of the organisation that he created to turn American Christian again. Make American Christian again. (laughs) MACA. Because... (laughs) It is so obvious that the battle to collectivise America is really on and on in earnest since the announcement of President Truman's legislative program. And Pew totally agreed. He wrote that the five principal issues the country was facing were the socialisation of industry, the socialisation of medicine, the socialisation of education, the socialisation of labour, and the socialisation of security. No, nothing there about the Soviets are coming to get us, right? It's just the socialisation of America, which was his big concern. And what do you think he means by the social? I can't even say that at this hour of the morning. The socialisation, <laughs> Ray. What is he, what's he concerned about when he talks about the socialization of industry?
1: Well, I know that the term creeping, uh, creeping socialism, is that, if that's the term I'm trying to think of, is that creeping communism? Anyway, um, yes, a term like that is going to be coming up very much. And I guess if you go back to the 1920s, and then you you look at the current laws, regulations on the books as far as the federal government and the state governments about what businesses can and cannot do. Um, and then you bring that forward to the 1930s. FDR is able to throw some laws onto the books. as a little tightening up, as, as we were saying on the last episode. To them, that's pretty extreme. And so I, I assume that they're going to think – that this process is going to keep going unless they, excuse me, unless they do something about it. So Are more left-leaning politicians going to be um, voted in? Are um, more labor unions going to grab more power? Is it going to be the end of their way of life? So I guess for them, they see it as a negative um, momentum building up and taking away, as you've said so eloquently dozens of times before, losing the ability to do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, now, uh,
0: look, I want to be balanced as, like as much as possible with this, sure. and try and think about what their concerns were. Look, yes, instinctively, my right. interpretation of their concerns is that uh, the government is trying to regulate industry more, mm-hmm. right. and uh, and and share the not just the wealth more, but share the mechanisms of control of industry more. You know, Mm. know, that was what was happening with the legitimization of um, uh, uh, collective bargaining uh, with unions and that kind of stuff. You were letting the people via the, the workers via... Organised union movements to have more say in how businesses were run, and they were against that. But mm-hmm. where well, you know, I want to be fair and also point out that the way that socialism was being engineered in the Soviet Union at that stage, right, um, and and consequently in China and and in Cuba and in Vietnam and other places where they had socialist. Uh, governments in the mid to late 20th century, the, the way that they tried to implement socialism was one of centralization a lot of, of a lot of the decisions of industry, planned economies. Yeah, where you'd have a bunch of bureaucrats uh, who would sit around and figure, try and figure out. Um, how many cars needed to be made every year, yeah. uh, how much grain needed to be grown, how, how many, how, the clothing requirements. And they would—they tried to have a managed economy, a planned economy, as opposed to a typical sort of capitalist economy where the, the capitalists decide, the market decides how many cars they're right. going to produce, which honestly is uh, in many ways ineff- ineffective um uh, because they will produce too little they'll produce too much right sometimes I'm just you you end up with yeah, the, yeah and it's also based on <clears throat> competition <clears throat> they will come in and they'll lower prices raise prices in order to destroy the competition which it's mm. not really geared around despite what you'll often hear from capitalist uh, rhetoricians it's not based around what's best for the consumer or what's best for society. It's based around how am I, the uh, capitalist, going to end up with the most money and the most power. Um, right. And, and, and sometimes that pays dividends for the consumer, for society, but sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's not a very um, efficient way of running an economy. Right. Uh, and what the socialists were trying to do was to make society more efficient by calculating how much of these things we would need, and then going out there and producing it. Now, they often failed to produce what they needed, enough of what they mm-hmm. needed. You know, we we all famously know about the uh, economic uh, realities of life in these socialist countries in the 20th century. However, you know what I think people don't often take into account is. One, the uh, uh, economic conditions that a lot of those countries were in when they started their socialist experiment. When mm-hmm. when Russia became socialist, it was already fucked economically, as oh, we've yeah. talked about many times in this show. Uh, that wasn't their fault. It was the capitalists that came before them that created that situation. Uh, and then, and then, of course, in Russia's case, they went through World War One, or halfway through World War One, when um, they had their revolution. Then they went through famines, uh, which you know the the, the preconditions yeah. were already war. there. Then they went through right. yeah, civil war. They went through. They were invaded by the U.S. and the U.K. They um, then went through World War Two, which uh, had a brutal impact on Russia, as we've talked about. And then they ended up in an arms race. Then they were, yes. then they Jeez. believed that the Americans Jeez. and the Americans deliberately sort of waggled nuclear weapons in front of them and said, "See what we've got. We're coming for you, yeah. baby." Yeah. Uh, so, and then they couldn't trade with a lot of the countries in Europe because of the Marshall Plan, et cetera, et cetera. So, same with China Damn. when the when the socialists yeah. took over China, China was fucked. Um, in large part thanks to the the British and their uh, drug war that they'd been running in China for a century
1: at that stage. (laughs) Right.
0: The opium wars Um, Mm. and their gunboat diplomacy. Uh, When the socialists took over in Cuba... Economy was fucked because of generations of first Spanish and then American capitalist control of the economy. A small percentage of people doing very well, making a lot of money, but the majority of people were very, very poor. And again, of course, then their their ability to trade openly and freely with the rest of the world was cut by the right. uh, Western powers, led by the Americans. Uh, so, <clears throat> but but. The other thing is, to be fair, uh, running a centrally planned economy in the 20th century was difficult. They didn't have computers. They didn't have spreadsheets.
1: Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They had had an
0: abacus with real with just just one with real people hanging from monkey bars. They say, Bob, can you move two squares to the right? (laughs) <laughs> they were they they were trying to deal yeah. with increasingly complex situations as economies oh, yeah. became more complex in the 20th century, and with with pre-computing uh, abilities to calculate things and without without the internet and and without to share information and communicate quickly and all these sorts of oh, things. yeah. So uh, partly, I don't think a lot of the guys uh, running the centrally planned economies. Did a good job of it, but on the other hand, they were facing external and internal economic realities that made it hard, and would have made it hard for their economies to survive without the massive input of cash that some countries got as a result of the Marshall Plan, like a massive, oh, yeah. a massive loan uh, to sort of kickstart their economies. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that may be what guys like Pew are concerned about that. Look, socialisation, you know, in, in say, 1950, 51, when he's looking at uh, places like Russia in that case, going, yeah, look, it didn't work. It's not working there. There Their economies are struggling. um, And he's probably just looking at the surface level of going, well, if we do that to this country, um, the guys who think they're going to run a centrally planned economy are probably going to fuck it up. And because they don't have computers either, well, we had very yeah. early computers in the fifties, very very early uh, sort of computational technology. But um, so yeah, like I, I want to be fair to them that they may have had concerns about the efficiency or effectiveness of centrally planned industries because that's a reality. But um, absolutely, I, I think the evidence will show that primarily they were concerned about uh keeping their wealth and power that was uh, that that is a natural thing to be concerned about if you're a rich powerful person you don't yes. want to give that up um mm. and like you and i don't want to give up being the 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 titans of history podcasting <laughs> um we, we we worked hard to claim our title and what? uh we 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 don't, we will go to war over it you Yes, come at me, bro, Please. and we will. Yeah, uh, we'll throw down if you try to take away our <laughs> title.
1: Well, when Camp when Cam says throw down, what he means is you'll get a daily email of us goat seeing you, and if you don't <laughs> want that, then just then just back down. So, so if I if I could just add, yeah, so they're still not fearing Moscow, they're not. They're still not fearing uh, the spread of communism, and so in the 1930s, the Spiritual Mobilization's Board of Directors doubles the maximum allowable donations to $10,000 a year, and as you can imagine, all these titans are giving everything they can officially, and then some unofficially, and again, all that money's being used, not to short the country against communism, but to try to weaken the new deal and get things back to the way they were in 1920s, when these guys could do whatever they want. But like you said, in 1948, Truman is reelected. They freak out a little bit. So now it's time for them to try something else. And Fifield and company do find a way to raise their game to combat this latest threat of four more years of Truman.
0: One other thing that Pew Pew wrote in his private (coughs) correspondence to Fifield was only through education and the pressure which the people exert on their politicians. Can we hope Mm. to prevent this country from becoming a totalitarian state? Wow. So I don't know how much he believed that, but that was the concern that at least he had, and I'm going to assume that his fellow industry titans, they were concerned that the United States was going to become a totalitarian state. Yeah. And it it wasn't this whole... Oh, fifth column of commies that are that 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 McCarthy was concerned about, right. or that um, uh, Dies was concerned <laughs> about. Um, it was it was the Democrats. It was FDR who's dead at this stage. Truman, the Democrats, the New Deal Democrats that they were concerned about um, was were, it was already up and running. This yeah. wasn't a possible oh well the commies might come in here and do x y and z they were concerned about the guys that were in washington running the country at the time they were the enemy they were the ones they needed to take down as quickly as possible yeah then in the spring of 1951 Fifield and his team of geniuses came up with a brilliant idea the 175th anniversary Of the signing of the Declaration of Tax Dodging. Oh, sorry, Independence (laughs) came up. Bitch. Uh And uh, they proposed that the week surrounding the 4th of July, they would hold a massive series of events Mm -hmm. devoted to the theme of freedom under God. Uh Just to remind everyone that capitalism was what Jesus wanted.
1: Yeah, I think the idea came from uh, one of Five Hill's friends, the president of the Southern California Edison Company, and that it came from the belief that the root cause of the disintegration of freedom here and of big government is the disintegration of the na- nation's spiritual foundations, as found in the Declaration of Independence. We want to revive that basic American credo, which is the spiritual basis of our Constitution. And like we've said over the last couple of episodes, you can't tell where faith starts and capitalism begins. I mean, these guys have got everything wound up together, and now they're bringing in the Declaration of Independence. I mean, you basically can't attack it without attacking the country itself. And I think that's their idea.
0: So they created a committee to organize all of these events Mm -hmm. with the Dodgiest sounding name <laughs> I've heard in a long time. The <laughs> Committee to Proclaim Liberty. Ta-da! Oh, my Da-da-da! God. That is the most yeah. American sounding thing I've ever heard. If, 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 yeah? The Committee to Proclaim Liberty, Freedom, and... What's another? And Democracy. Democracy. That's, that's what I should have heard. Yeah. Freedom loving people. Make it great again. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Committee to Proclaim Liberty. <laughs> was the name of their organization. Her, um Yeah. So um, who was running the committee to proclaim liberty? Well, mostly guys that hated the Democrats. <laughs> um, that was all that was all the, the two things me. you Yeah. The two things you needed to <laughs> in the check boxes the two things when you when you applied, yeah. you filled out the application form to be uh, <laughs> On, in, the, in the, the leadership board of the Committee right. to Proclaim Liberty. The, fir- the first question was, do you hate the Democrats right. and the New Deal? And Check, the- yes. Second question was, do you really... <laughs> Do you really hate karma, the New Deal? Really? Oh karma, yeah! I hate them. Oh yeah. yeah! How much do you yeah. hate? Please, please, one <laughs> from one to ten. One being I just hate it. Ten being you know I get a boner every time I think about stabbing <laughs> so them to the, death. Oh my god! Please, please indicate uh, where you are. The second one, the second question after those, there was like it was a there was a three part question. Right, the first right. question, um, the second one was. Uh, are you really, really rich and a a captain of industry? (laughs) Uh, Because that's what you needed. So uh, the first two guys were the guys that um, had already been battling Democratic administrations. Herbert Hoover, former president, driven from the White House 20 years earlier (sighs) by Franklin Double crossing Rosenveld. Mm, yeah. And the second was General Douglas MacArthur, who had just been removed from his command in Korea two months earlier by Harry Truman. We haven't talked about this in detail on the show yet, but uh, why was why was Dougie removed by Truman? Yeah, um, you, the The world, nobody knows more about World War II than you, Ray. (laughs) That's
1: so sadly true. Um, um, was this now? I know that FDR saw him as a political, a potential political threat, he might run for the White House. And I'm going basically off of a show that we did probably a year ago. But didn't MacArthur have some extreme view about how to solve problems? Uh, conflicts in the area with atomic bombs, or am I, am I a way out base? Or, or is that the Korean War that I'm nah. thinking of?
0: Yeah, this is the Korean okay. War we're talking about. Oh, that's right. My he was removed up. from his yeah. command in Korea um, because he wanted to drop nukes on the <laughs> that's Chinese. That's how you solve
1: problems. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot more. It's like, what the fuck have we got them for <laughs> if we
0: can't drop them on people? <laughs>
1: Remember Doctor Strange glove, a useless weapon. No, an unused weapon is a useless weapon.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's what I say about my penis while my wife's away.
1: <laughs> you nuke?
0: Um, yeah, <laughs> I call him. I call him Fat Boy. Um, <clears throat> now, so those two guys were uh, 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 on the board. Right. Then you had a whole bunch of.
1: Military good.
0: leaders, right. political stars, heads of patriotic groups, right-wing media figures, outspoken conservatives from <sighs> entertainment like Bing Crosby, Cecil B. DeMille, mm-hmm. Walt Disney, and, of course, the Big <clears throat>
1: Well, Well, if there's anything I can do to help. No, but you're right. I mean, it's got James Kraft of Kraft Foods, Charles Wilson of General Motors, and I think I came across this. J- Charles Wilson of General Motors um, had the highest salary of any executive out of all of these guys. And so they've got the biggest hitters here donating their time, their talents and their money. I mean, this is just a massive enterprise.
0: Conrad Hilton of Hilton hotels. Yes. B-E, there we go. Hutchinson who ran Chrysler at the time, uh, Houston McBain, which sounds like, uh, sounds yeah, a fake name. he should be the uh, bad guy in the next Die Hard movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, he, he ran Marshall Field, a chain of Chicago-based wow. department yeah. stores. Admiral Ben Moreel of Jones and Lachlan Steel in Pittsburgh. And Damn. And World War I flying ace Eddie Rickenbacker. Uh, really? he, he ran Eastern Airlines, one of the big four domestic airlines. Distant cousin of Adolf Rickenbacker, the founder <laughs> of Rickenbacker Guitars, which and I'm not even joking around here, were, right. was, they were called Rickenbacker guitars uh, to, to capitalize on the fame of okay. uh, Eddie Rickenbacker, <laughs> who was uh, you know, this, this World War I flying ace, won a ton, of That's war, hilarious. a ton of medals in World War I.
1: So what was the real goal of the very impressive but weird-sounding committee to proclaim... Freedom. They've got these big business guys. They've got military leaders. They've got um, movie stars. They've got, I guess, media stars, all with a conservative bent. What, what are they really trying to make America safe from communism?
0: I'm not finished yet. Um we got oh, we sorry, got, there's more. Well, there's more. I mean, they they had so many captains of industry that wanted to get on this committee that I they imagine. needed to increase the number of seats. They had to build like Damn. a whole new boardroom with bigger tables to get <laughs> everyone on there. Harvey Firestone <laughs> of the Tire Company, E. F. Hutton, who ran a major Wall Street firm named after himself, Fred Maytag of Maytag Dairy Farms, Henry Luce. American magazine From magnate Footloose? who was called oh. the most... <laughs> Henry Footloose uh, said,
1: "No not dancing!
0: Um, <laughs> Stop it! He uh, was called the most influential private citizen in the America of his day. Co-founded Time magazine when he was 23 years old. Oh. Then went on to found Life magazine, Fortune magazine and Sports Illustrated.
1: Damn. Um
0: Uh, J.C. Penney, founder of the American department store chain, as well as the heads of U.S. Steel, Republic Steel, Gulf Oil, Hughes Aircraft, I guess that would have been Howard Hughes, and United Airlines. Uh, The president of the American uh, Chamber of Commerce and the president of the National Association of Manufacturers served- as did uh, people from organisations like the Foundation for Economic Education, and I was actually on their website last night. They're still around. And the Freedoms oh, wow. Foundation. These guys all hated FDR, Truman, <laughs> and the New Deal. And uh, they, were, they were throwing everything they had. And when you've got Henry Luce on the team, who runs <laughs> all of these magazines, you've got... right. You got some weight. When you've got the most influential private citizen in America on your team, yeah, you you got to pull some strings. Um, Right. They hated the New Deal. They wanted to take it down and they wanted to use Christianity as the wedge to stop the socialization of industry. Now, Um, The the way that they started doing this Before Mm -hmm. all of their events Is they started Using their companies That they controlled To take out full page ads In national newspapers Driving home their message That the US government Was trying Mm. to take away Their God given freedoms (laughs) Uh, Now if you go up to newspapers.com As I have, you can go back and read these ads. They're they're there for their read, for for, to to read, and it's fuck me, man! It's quite astounding, really. It's really quite astounding (laughs) to read these. Brought to you by some of the leading businesses in the United States at the time, basically talking about Jesus and God and uh, and (laughs) the Declaration of Independence and all this kind of stuff. The propaganda level on this is off the fucking charts. It's really (laughs) astounding. Uh, For example, um, the Detroit Edison Company, Mm -hmm. big power company at the time, uh, ran a full-page ad quoting from a piece written by a conservative talk show host, radio talk show host at the time, Clarence Mannion, said things like, despotism never advertises itself as such by its own sly self-definition. It may label itself democratic, progressive, liberal, humanitarian, or fraternal. Those who oppose it will be called reactionaries, fascists, and other bad names. Right. Of course, actually, it was the fascists in, the, <laughs> in Germany <laughs> that uh, labeled themselves democratic and socialist. Right. Um, so he was right about that. The Utah Power and Light Company. Meanwhile, uh, ran a full-page ad with the headline, How many independence days do we have left?
1: <laughs> That's good. That's it, good.
0: And, and it wasn't just them. This same ad turns up, when I go through newspapers.com, this same ad turns up over and over again from a whole variety of uh, uh, electricity companies that I think were all mm-hmm. owned probably by the Edison company. Uh, but they had, you know, they they had state based uh, mm. uh, offshoots with their own names. But it, the ad talked about please, readers, pray for help in maintaining man's closeness to God and in preserving man's God given rights and responsibilities against those who would make you dependent upon a socialistic, all powerful government. So they were, going, they were going all out there, man, trying to yeah. scare the American people into thinking that the Truman administration... Right. Truman, Coming who dropped you. nuclear weapons on Japanese yes. civilians, was, uh, you know, basically a, a secret commie.
1: Right. He now had a sight set on the American people. If I could just pull this entire subject to today... And for an analogy, you have said several times on various different shows that the one thing that I think Americans don't get about their own government or about their own society versus, uh, versus how outsiders see us is that we're not, we don't have a right and left party. We have a, I guess, maybe a right and a center right or just right of center party. So they're basically both on the Right side, politically speaking, of the center. And you have to imagine that with a powerhouse team like this, with all this money and and this organization all being funneled through Fifield, can you be surprised that we're still not, I mean, can you be surprised that, you know, we're not more uh, to the left than we could be but when you have this entity that's been going on for decades with, with almost bottomless uh, resources yeah they're going to be able to and it's going to take time but they're going to be able to move the country through various ways to the right politically because that's where they want it that's where they want uh, the government to be as far as not regulating them so i i just we shouldn't be surprised by where america's at right now because of people like this and the efforts that they undertook
0: yeah, and the the thing that's most fascinating to me about all of this is that all of these corporate titans with mm-hmm. their resources, not just the money, but access to yeah. you know, Henry Luce's media and all this kind of stuff, instead of, um, you know, if they're generally concerned about uh, socialism and, and regulation and all these sort of right. stuff, instead of making a coherent... Uh, argument at a political level or a mm-hmm. socioeconomic level uh, explaining to people why for example centralized planning of economies can't work uh, because <laughs> yeah. we don't have computers yet uh, uh, and we don't know how to do it it's a, it's a new thing it's a big task trying to organize a, right. a, an economy for you know 100 million to 100 million people um, from say Washington or Moscow um instead of trying to make a logical rational reason based argument uh countering mm. the claims of people that are arguing for i won't say for socialism in america because i don't think anyone was arguing for socialism i mean outside right. of Absolutely. the the you know some some small the people on the social. left right yeah right I don't yeah. th- I don't think Truman uh, and the Democrats were arguing for socialism per se they were just uh, they were realizing okay well you know the industry um helped fuck our economy in the late 20s and led to the great depression uh, mm-hmm. obviously we need to we need to balance things up a little bit here uh to prevent that from happening again yeah uh, the and also you know as I think we said in a recent show FDR would often say, "Listen, if if we don't um, balance things up a little bit here, you know the people are going to pick up their pitchforks. You will have the Russian Revolution, yeah, happen here. So I'm your best friend. I'm trying to give the people enough." change that they will calm the fuck down right uh, otherwise we could have a full scale revolution on our hands I'm your, I'm your best friend yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm the guy that makes them feel like they're having a little bit more say right. in things keeping them
1: calm yeah yeah exactly if I could just uh, give that a slightly different angle, let's say, and I, and I don't know the numbers, I don't have the numbers for me, but let's say I'm Harvey Firestone and my company this year is going to make a profit of $10 million. I have no idea. Uh, something like that. What if he, instead of doing all this stuff, pumping all this money into it and fighting and getting worked up and going after, what if he just says, you know what? Instead of making $10 million this year, we're just gonna, I'm gonna settle for $8 million. If we can make $8 million this year instead of 10 as far as profit, that'd be great. And what I'm gonna do with that difference is I'm going to raise, is the the pay for all of my people by 50% or pick a percentage. It doesn't matter. The point is, if you start treating these people differently, if you start giving them some of the profits, socialists and communists can come along and go, hey, hey, why don't you join us? They'll be like, fuck you. I got a house. I got a car. My wife doesn't have to work. I'm being paid a decent wage. Yeah, I have a hard-working job or maybe it's physically hard or it's dirty, whatever, but I can take care of my own. And that's all that anybody wants. But no, they're trying to manipulate the system so they can deregulate so they can squeeze every little last penny out of the business and, and not give it over or share it with their workers that they can. And that's what, that's what gets me riled up when I read some of the stuff and I read some of those ads. It's, it's all bullshit and it's all bullshit serving the ends of lining their pockets with even more money.
0: Yeah, my point before was going to be rather than you, you know uh, start these media campaigns to argue mm-hmm. the, uh, for the benefits of let's say laissez-faire capitalism right. versus uh, regulation and or socialism, but I don't think anyone was really arguing for socialism just for some mm-hmm. regulations and some uh, uh uh workers rights. Um they they they're turning to religion because they've already yeah. found look we 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 can we, we tried to make a, a coherent <laughs> right socioeconomic argument right. and we failed Sweet message.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: we failed. That didn't work. Right. So we're going to go to religion now. If if we can't make a rational argument for oh, <laughs> capitalism, right. we're going to we're going to turn to emotional. Yes. Arguments. We're going to turn to religion to get back. That's people. what's brilliant. How do you attack
1: because faith?
0: These are the most powerful and influential and wealthiest men mm-hmm. in the country and they can't make a coherent argument
1: <laughs> successfully
0: because, because of capitalism. One. <laughs> so they're right. going to turn to Jesus Jesus yes. says Jesus will say So us. yeah so they, they started taking out all of these ads basically um, right. to to try and convince people that god wanted capitalism Yes. Um, now the the committee to proclaim liberty started to enlist ministers from around the country to promote their freedom under God festivities oh, that they were going to run on the 4th of July week. Um, they, they, they had this massive mailing list that Fifield had been building up under his oh, yeah. spiritual mobilization group. They um, sent, a, sent a, a letter out to all of their ministers suggesting that they put out a press release that they would write for them, they gave them basically a boilerplate template for a press release, Right. Um, and said, "Listen, just just fill your you know, fill, <laughs> fill in the blanks with your personal information and get right. this out there." And it said stuff like, "The purpose of the committee to proclaim liberty," right. um, the Reverend uh, Blank declared, <laughs> "is to mm-hmm. revive a custom long forgotten in America: spiritual emphasis." On the fourth of July, Ooh, right, and so th- you know that that made it easy for the ministers. Yeah. They didn't have to think for themselves because we I all know that. that thinking is is not the strong suit of ministers. It's so hard, yeah. So they just uh, wrote the press release for them. Here, fill in fill in the blanks. Uh, get this out uh, to your local newspapers, <laughs> right? Then the committee established a sermon contest. Ooh, seventeen thousand ministers. Oh my uh, God. We were competing for cash prizes. How to do it. <laughs> and they, to win, you had to write an original sermon. Oh, fuck, you I mean I need to think now? <laughs> on the theme of freedom under God and then deliver it to their congregations on Independence Sunday. Nice. Which was July 1st, 1951. First place in the sermon competition went to the Reverend Kenneth W. Sollett, okay. who is the minister of the First Baptist Church of Mendota in Michigan, in Illinois. Now, I said I was on the uh, Foundation for Economic Education website last night, mm-hmm. the fee, F-E-E dot com. Or How dot,
1: Right.
0: Yeah um I was on their website I said because they have a half dozen or so of the Reverend Solit's speeches on their website uh, dated from the 50s and 60s uh, where he's talking about the evils of uh, uh, the New Deal and uh, uh, how Jesus told him personally that he's all about the he's all about the bling um but this particular, Speech that he won the competition for was published in the September issue of Faith and Freedom under the title Freedom Under God. We can go on making a God of government or oh, we can return again <laughs> to the government of God. Nice. You, Did you, you read ke- this uh, particular speech?
1: No, but I, let me just throw this in real quick before you go on. You keep saying freedom under God, and every time you do, I'm starting to get this idea that. Maybe freedom isn't possible unless it's under God. Maybe that was like a secondhand, almost like secondhand smoke, maybe just an idea that would eventually sink into people's heads that unless it was under God, you know, through religion or whatever. If if God isn't paramount or whatever in your life, then are you truly free? I don't know. It's just an image I got when you kept saying that.
0: Yeah. Well... Uh, I think that's the exactly the image they um want you to have man mm. it's uh that the only freedom is the freedom that being godly gives you or something like that. <laughs> to worship
1: god yeah yeah cuz you're not a communist
0: yeah well you got yeah 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 and, i mean i read a bunch of this guy's speeches last night and little bit hard to make any sense out of them um, <laughs> but the, the general theme is that uh just the, just using these words the government of god freedom under god um etc etc um anyway in this particular speech he talked about um the evils of national debt uh, of of growing federal payrolls, mm-hmm. corporate taxation, government bureaucracy, social security, wow. uh, the evils of socialized medicine. Oh God. Um, for 175 years, we have focused <clears throat> our attention so much on the enjoyment of our liberty that we have been perfectly willing to pass all kinds of legislation limiting the other fellows' liberty for our benefit. Government of the people, by the people, for the people, has become government of the people by pressure groups for the benefit of minorities. (laughs) Give me liberty or give me death has been shortened to just plain give me. (laughs) Nice. America stands at the crossroads. One road leads to slavery, which has always been the lot who have chosen collectivism in any of its forms, be it communism, socialism, or the welfare state. They are all cut from the same pattern. The other road leads to the only freedom
1: there truly is, free enterprise. Nicely done. No wonder he won. That was smooth. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was smooth.
0: He won a weekend in Vegas with a bunch (laughs) of strippers. Um, Then, so so these guys in 1951 do this whole thing about under God and the 4th of July, freedom under God. Right. Then, a couple of years later, 1954, the Scottish Presbyterian minister, George MacPherson Doherty, uh gave a, a powerful sermon mm-hmm. at his church in Washington DC with President Eisenhower then uh, Republican, they got a, they got a Republican in finally. Yes. Uh, he was sitting there and this is when uh, the the phrase under God made its way into the pledge of allegiance to the flag which, as we've talked about in previous shows, was invented by a flag salesman who Yoke. was trying to sell flags to schools <laughs> and he invented the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> um, and now they've decided to add a little bit of an under-God reference into it. So yeah. um, and it was in the, the late 50s uh, that this under-God thing started to happen. In God We Trust was adopted as the United States motto in 1956. Right. As a replacement or alternative to the unofficial motto of E Pluribus Unum, which was adopted when the Great Seal was created in 1782. E Pluribus Unum means, Ray?
1: Uh, One among many. I'm going back to my West Wing days.
0: Yeah, no. One of
1: of many, one from many, <laughs> something. No,
0: holy, holy shit! You are the worst American ever. <laughs> like seriously,
1: what does it mean?
0: Didn't you do your degree in American history? Yes. You keep telling me, and you don't but know that's what "fluribus is. that's in Latin. That's in Latin. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> hell. <laughs> Seriously, you got your degree out of a cornflakes packet, didn't you? I'm
1: I'm winging it. One. I want to see your. I want to see your degree. I'm pretty sure it'll it'll be written in crayon.
0: Some of the letters will be written backwards.
1: (laughs) It came from Phoenix University. Okay.
0: Was that an online university?
1: Yes, it was. Forty nine
0: ninety nine for that, plus tax,
1: plus shipping, (laughs) plus something else. One out of, out of many. Out of many. Out of many. comes winging yeah. it?
0: Out of many, one.
1: Okay. What? Jeez, tough room. Damn. Tough room. <laughs> <laughs> People that get on Facebook yesterday like,
0: I, let's let's try and be nice to Rayleigh. Like, but it's <laughs> I make it
1: I make it impossible for Cam to be nice to me because I'm always so hard. It's okay. It's it's on me. I'll take this one. I'll take
0: this. How answer. do I know E Pluribus Unum and you don't?
1: Um, see, there you go. You assume I care. I'm an American. I'm the best. You're, you're you, don't have to know. Don't you don't have to know. I don't have to know. know. I'll yeah. hire an Australian I've to fucking it. tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't yeah, need yeah. to know. Yeah. Australian, yeah. Mexican, whatever.
0: Anyway. So George McPherson Doherty. <laughs> he um, had come over from Scotland in 1950 Aye. to take take over the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church right. in Washington, D.C. Nice. Not in New York. No. Now, he wasn't an American citizen in oh, 1954. Get him out of here. But uh, he, he changed the country forever, um, regardless. He... Even though he was a Scotsman, for some reason, he, he got on board this whole patriotic religion thing uh, very right. early on. I guess he saw where the bling was at and decided, uh, yeah, I want some of that. I'm, I'm no, my mama, my mama ne- never gave no birth to no <laughs> fool. I'm a Scotsman. Um, I needed
1: for beer, whiskey.
0: Yeah. my dad used to say, if a Scotsman is standing up at a tower and drops a penny out a window, he'll run down so fast <laughs> and catch it it'll hit him on the head. Um, when Now, when uh, Billy Graham held surface, uh, held services yeah. in Washington in February 1952, Doherty sat at a place of honour on the platform and said... To a reporter from the post, I am certain that this young man is being used by God in the nation's capital to remind us all of (coughs) Let me start that again. I am certain that this young man is being used by God in the nation's capital to remind us all of the sovereignty of God. Ooh. Now you had some bio on Billy Graham that I think you wanted to share with us.
1: Yeah, just uh, just to jump back a little bit how this gets set up. So in September of 1949, Billy Graham's 30 years old, you know, pretty good looking or whatever, tall, skinny kind of guy, youngish, charismatic, but he's not very well known. So he's speaking in Los Angeles and he's letting the people of Los Angeles and in general California know that they are going down the same path as Sodom and Gomorrah. And they'd better change their ways. But he had more. He had more to, to say to them just to, than to, just to scare the hell out of them. Two days before this, and this was in September of 1949. Two days before this, the United States found out that the Soviets had developed, <clears throat> excuse me, their own atomic bomb. And so he said that communism was against God. Communism is not only an economic interpretation of life. Communism is a religion that is inspired, directed, and motivated by the devil himself who has declared war against God almighty and yeah, whatever. Okay. Fine. But the point is, as we've said on the previous shows, there is this religious wave building up in America from the 1930s, 1940s. And so Graham is able to ride that wave and he does become even more well-known. He becomes known as a national figure. And, uh, so he keeps going. And, um, He was, I guess you could call him, he was uh, like a new Christian uh, libertarian. He was very charismatic. He spread the word. And he took advantage of the field, no pun intended, that Fifield had laid down with all of his work with his newsletters and his various committees. So Graham had no problem with taking capitalism and combining it with faith. And like, and this will come as no surprise, he did work very closely with big business. And he was totally on board with their message and how they deliver their message. In 1952, he said, The Garden of Eden was a paradise with no union dues, no labor leaders, no snakes, no disease. So he's comparing the perfect world where there is no regulation, there is no union, and bosses can pretty much do whatever the the heck they want. But there was this one one quote that he had that just really, I, I was just kind of amazed. I guess he was really getting into it. He said, if workers wanted salvation, they needed to put aside such thoughts and devote themselves to their employers. So again, it's almost like Everything is about making the 1% happy because if you make them happy and give them what they want, then everything else from them will trickle down and they will take care of the rest of us. That was kind of a side message, but that's an actual quote of his. And I'm just kind of surprised that he would—he was that pro-business. But I think, like all the other preachers, he realized where the money was at. He realized what he had to do, and so he did it. Mm.
0: Yeah, he um, sort of became famous in the late '40s, mm-hmm. just after World War II. Sort of picking up from where Frank Coughlin left off, he uh, he did some radio, but he would he would do these uh, what he called his crusades. He would, I think, starting in like '47 um, uh, in Michigan, he right. would go into a town hire a large venue like a, a stadium or, or a park set up a tent and uh, you know run these these big sort of evangelical um, whatever um, meetings yeah <laughs> sermons yeah. church gatherings
1: oh yeah and then, revivals. then I,
0: yeah revivals and he's only in his late 20s he was he was he was a genius oh, yeah. and, and he got a lot of media coverage as a result of it. He um did a series in LA in nineteen forty-nine when he set up a circus tent in a parking lot. It got a lot of coverage from the Hearst media, um, because the Hearst media was very conservative, um, for the same reasons that all these other guys were. There was all about uh you know, they were they were more than happy to promote this whole um pro-capitalism kind of Christianity. Right. Um his early sort of gatherings were all segregated because oh. that's how Jesus would have wanted. Sure. Uh, sure. They, uh, you know, you wanted to have your blacks and your whites separated. Um, it's like what, my clothes.
1: Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, so, anyway.
1: Well, I guess the best way to think of Billy Graham as between his position as a preacher and the fact that he was charismatic, he was the bridge between the common man because he had that touch, and the business elites. he was. It seemed as if he was talking to the common man, trying to help the common man find his place in the world, but really he's serving his rich masters. And I know that probably sounds harsh. I mean, I barely remember this guy because he was really big in the 70s, and I think my parents watched him. But um, I did find a couple of things about him that I just want to do real quick, Uh, just to give a slightly less positive view of him. In 2002, when the Nixon tapes came out, captured on the tapes, Graham agreed with Nixon that Jews control the American media. And he called it a stranglehold. And he said during a 1972 conversation with the president, he suggested that if Nixon was reelected, then they might be able to do something about it, the Jews. As far as women were concerned, he stated that the role of wife, mother, and homemaker was the destiny of real wom- womanhood, according to the Judeo Christian ethic, which I think you said last time. Now, actually, I know on the last episode you went into how saying the Judeo Christian ethic was a complete false construct made just a couple decades ago. So that's, that's bullshit. And um, in 2012, he took out full-page ads in favor of the North Carolina Amendment 1, which was trying to ban um, same-sex marriages in that state. So he was over on the right because that's where his bread was buttered. So politically, over there, he really can't do anything else. But, hey, he had a pretty good life, and he made a lot of money.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, he was very influential in the whole evangelical uh, Christ, rise of evangelical Christianity in 20th century US. Mm-hmm. So, um, getting back to George Dougherty, Um <clears throat> so uh, he in 1952 he was invited to address the Washington Pilgrimage of American Churchmen. This is where hundreds of church figures and leading laymen would get together from several faiths across the country.
1: Mm-hmm. The
0: theme of the convention was that faith is the foundation of freedom. Mm. Now, they went around Washington visiting various shrines and monuments to demonstrate to the world that belief in God has served as the basis of American government and the democratic way of life. Oh, God now of course as I'm sure everyone today knows the founding tax dodgers um, were pretty were a pretty irreligious lot um, yes quite quite famously uh, they in their correspondence they not only were not very religious most of them there was a couple of exceptions but I think John Adams might have been a little bit religious but most of them not only weren't religious they were quite Outwardly, uh, irreligious and and concerned that uh, religion uh, could be a danger to their country. Yeah, um, and Jefferson obviously was probably the most outspoken in terms of um, his views on the evils of Christianity, uh, the dangers of it. Um, <clears throat> anyway, but. Don't let facts get in the way of a good story, George Doherty. Um, so, yeah, the basis of American government. Eh, I mean, okay, so it does turn up in your Declaration of Independence, right? So, um, And also, as Doherty uh, realized, because he the church that he was running in Washington was the church that Lincoln attended when he was president, so it was kind of associated yeah. with Lincoln. And he started reading the Gettysburg Address, Doherty, and and in that Lincoln said he hoped that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. And then Doherty happened to be talking with his Mm -hmm. son who was talking about the Pledge of Allegiance that they were saying to the flag at school. And he realized that uh, the Pledge of Allegiance didn't acknowledge God like even Abraham Lincoln had in his Gettysburg Address. So he decided that this was going to be his thing. He was going to get the words under God put into the Pledge of Allegiance. (laughs) So he uh, gave a big talk at his church uh, on February 7th, 1954. Mm Mm-hmm. Before that, though, he had made it his talk um, at this Washington pilgrimage thing and he'd suggested that they should get it in there. But um, several of his colleagues in Washington decided that that would be a violation of the principle of separation of church and state, yes. having the words under God in the Pledge of Allegiance, even though the Pledge of Allegiance was something made up by a flag salesman. Um <laughs> <laughs> but they decided not to support the idea. But he didn't give up. And, and, and hence, his big speech on what is known as Lincoln Sunday. Why is it called Lincoln Sunday, uh, America expert?
1: I don't know. Please tell me, Australian servant. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it was the
0: Sunday closest to Lincoln's birthday. And so That's it. Come as- on. That's Lincoln Sunday, they would, um, or they, it was sort of a tradition for presidents to attend the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church on Lincoln Sunday, right. And sit in the same pew Ooh. that Abraham Lincoln sat in. Ooh, they, they would get down and sniff it. Oh, I can smell Lincoln's <laughs> butt. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a presidential
1: smell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's still around all these years later.
0: I can smell <laughs> Lincoln. He was a stinky, stinky man. Um, so, uh, Doherty decided because, uh, Ro- uh, not Roosevelt, Eisenhower was going to be there for Lincoln Sunday, 1954. So he decided to give this big speech uh, on the theme of under God and the pledge of allegiance. So yeah. he started off, man um, <clears throat> Scottish, Scottish preacher, got a channel of Scottish preacher at this season of anniversary of the birth of Lincoln. It will not be, a, be inappropriate to speak about freedom and what is called the American way of life. They can take away a land. But they know hold on, that's the wrong speech. It's just when I get into this accent and I start talking about freedom, I go straight into that movie. What? I know it hasn't come out yet, but it will. It'll be big. you love it. yeah, Australians... Doing American, doing Scottish <laughs> accents.
1: It's our one. The American.
0: <laughs> we're only doing one today.
1: I know. The American way of life.
0: <laughs> uh, <coughs> anyway, he talked yes. about the American way of life. Baseball games, popcorn, Coca-Cola. Yeah. Sears Roebuck, etc., etc. And where did all this come from? It was brought here by people who laid stress on fundamentals. They called Aww. themselves Puritans. The Puritans invented Coca-Cola. <laughs> Did <laughs> you, you know? Think, yeah. Who do you think put the cocaine in Coca-Cola? <laughs> it was <laughs> the Puritans. <laughs> the fucking Puritans.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, they weren't that fucking pure. <laughs> Let oh, me tell you guy, the new <laughs> <mercy>. <laughs> Oh, I heard. <hurt. laughs> oh my god. But just, if I may, he said, and now as you know, I'm a foreigner. I've been to other countries and I've heard other countries pledges like in Moscow. But you know what? I can't tell the difference because you don't have God in he your
0: in Moscow.
1: Because, <laughs> no he 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 said when I, when I listen to the Pledge of Allegiance, it
0: could be the, 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 the uh, Pledge of, of any country. The right. only thing that makes America different from any, any country is the fact that we have cocaine in our soft drinks. <laughs> oh, apart from <laughs> yeah. that. Two things. The other thing that makes us different is that <laughs> Jesus loves us. Jesus Ooh. invented America. The welcome. Puritans invented America. There was no one here before the Puritans. Hey, hey no. those Indians, uh, the Native Americans. No, they're not even did really human because them, they don't them. love Jesus. Right? Jesus, Puritans were all about Jesus. <laughs> that. <laughs>
1: that <not> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to throw this in real quick. So this is 1954. In May of 1953, there was a Gallup poll. And you never know how accurate these things are, but they reported that 69% of Americans favored adding under God to the pledge, and only 21% opposed it, and 10% didn't really give a fuck. But the point is, so he's kind of got momentum on his side that's one thing but to change the preamble to the constitution i mean that's huge so you have to have you have to have all your ducks in a row to try to get this through and to to make it a law but fortunately like you said eisenhower is sitting there listening to him and he probably thinks it's a pretty keen idea yeah so
0: doherty went on uh He's talking about uh, separation of church and state, which had been a complaint that had been made to him by other preachers in previous years. And he said, what the declaration says in effect is that no state church shall exist in this land. This is separation of church and state. It is not and never was meant to be a separation of religion and life. And to be fair, look, the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, you know, is 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 a is a it's a it's a it, it wasn't law, right? You didn't you didn't have to say the Pledge of Allegiance by law, uh, although. Even to this very day, you keep hearing about kids who refuse to say it and they get, like, kicked out of school for refusing to say it in the U.S. Yeah. It's basically Hitler Youth, the American version of (laughs) Hitler Youth,
1: the Pledge of Allegiance. But it's okay when we do it, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, he said it was broad enough to encompass all Americans. It must be under God to include the great Jewish community. And the people of the Muslim faith ah. and the myriad of denominations of Christians in the land. What then of the honest atheist? Gotcha. Philosophically <laughs> speaking, an atheistic American is a contradiction in terms. <laughs> oh, sure. Atheists are fine in character, good neighbors, but they're spiritual parasites. <laughs> oh, I mean no term of abuse in this. A parasite. Parasite is an organism that lives upon the life force of another organism without contributing <clears throat> to the life of the other. Harsh. Now, these may be wonderful people, but they are denying God who who revealed the divine principles upon which the
1: ethics of this country grow. So they're not really Americans. Uh, the parasites. Sulkiness. The socas The next yeah. day... Yeah.
0: The very next day, President Eisenhower began to set the wheels in motion to amend the Pledge of Allegiance to include the phrase, under God. On February 8th, 1954, the very day after Doherty's speech, Representative Charles Oakman, Republican of Michigan, introduced a bill... To that effect, and Eisenhower signed it into law on Flag Day. <laughs> Flag Day. Jesus Christ, you people.
1: The, but this... Flag You can day. mock us, but this is why what? everything is wrapped up in nationalism and patriotism, capitalism and religion, is because these sons of bitches purposefully... Pulled it all together and made it inseparable. And you can't attack one without attacking the other. And like you said, we said on the previous show, I mean, it's a brilliant fucking idea. It took them a while to work it out, but it's a brilliant idea as long as no one's thinking.
0: I was going to take the piss out of America for having Flag Day, but I just looked it up in Wikipedia in
1: Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Boom! Oh, that feels good. First dive. That feels good. First dive, heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? Yep. Well, you kind of have to. If you're a Western, if you're a Christian-based, don't you have to?
0: Do you have a uh, – is, is Flag Day in the United States a holiday? I
1: I have no idea. I, I think I know it exists, but I don't know anything about it.
0: Right. Um, well, we don't uh, – it's not a holiday here. No, it's not big it's in
1: Brisbane? Not, uh, there you go. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we have holidays for everything here. <laughs> Because Australians Shrimp. love nothing more than an excuse to take the day off work and get pissed. I mean, most Australians are pissed at work anyway. <laughs> uh, but you get paid even better if you can right. take the day off officially. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. God. Oh, well, some some parts of America, it's tradition to slow smoke various meats and vegetables
1: on flag a cookout,
0: party. grill. Whatever. There you go, yeah.
1: Yeah, we take yeah. that shit seriously. That part of 4th of July and Flag Day and patriotism, cookouts, we take that. that that's an institution in this country. Yeah. Get so out. anyway, yeah.
0: he signed it into law on Flag Day. um The uh, Doherty, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, died at his home in Alexandria on Thanksgiving Day in 2008. Billy Graham, of course, just died last year, yeah. 2018. Yeah. But I, I think about, I was thinking about this. Like, this guy, a Dorquity, mm-hmm. a Scotsman, who did become an American citizen finally, um, you know, he got that done. And then he spent, you know, the rest of his life watching America become increasingly evangelical thinking. <laughs> I That's did that. True. That I'm was a me. Scotsman. That
1: was me. Yeah. Yeah. everybody was proud. That's, uh, I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. So um I guess this is all um a way of pointing out how a handful of Christian preachers mm-hmm. supported by big business yeah. in the middle of the in the early to mid 50s transformed America into an overtly Christian nation mm-hmm. deliberately as a way to associate Christianity with capitalism and with get your hands off my business right. and my money and to try and stop regulation. And yeah. that, that, that war is still going on to this very day.
1: Yeah, and they're winning. Please let that be the one thing, if, if there's only one thing that you take away from this, that's what needs to get out there and, and so we can and I you have kind of said this before, so we can actually start thinking for ourselves, look at things critically and not just get wrapped up in the emotions of things and then the brain just shuts down.
0: By the way, you didn't pick me up on this, so I'll pick myself up oh. on it. When I talked about the Pledge of Allegiance not being law, um it it has been at different points in time. Mm. Um it, it was formally adopted by Congress in nineteen forty two. The official name of the Pledge of Allegiance was adopted in 1945. Right. Congressional sessions open with recital of the pledge. um, And all states except Hawaii, Iowa, Vermont and Wyoming require (laughs) a regularly scheduled recitation of the pledge in public schools. Although the Supreme Court ruled uh, in, let me see when this case was, 1943, hmm. West Virginia State Board of Education versus Barnett, right. that students cannot be compelled to recite the pledge, nor can they be punished for not doing so. Wow. So uh, there so- you go.
1: I remember being in elementary school and doing it and I was confused, didn't know what the hell was going on, didn't really know what I was saying, but I was doing it because everybody else was doing it and I guess it's kind of what they're counting on. You just get conditioned. And and for Americans who probably think this
0: happens everywhere, oh, it, good point. it doesn't. Right. It's very, it, nothing like this exists or have has ever existed in Australia. hmm um, I, I can't talk about the rest of the world but um, you know it's it's. I find it shocking and bizarre yeah always have done when I see it on American TV shows and films I find it, it it's like and I'm not even you know just dicking around here it it strikes me as Hitler youth-esque um, it is and, and of course we know yeah. we know that the Nazi salute uh, started off as the Bellamy salute and um you know, it, it it the guy who came up with the Pledge of Allegiance, right. Francis Bellamy, yeah. uh, was the guy who said, you know, when you recite this, you should hold your arm out straight, the f- hand fingers extended, palm down. <laughs> God. Um, before yeah. the Nazis, he invented it. The Nazis got it from America, which most people don't talk about. Hitler saw that and went, "Oh, I like that. Yeah, uh, oh. I'll, let's do let's do that. I love it." <laughs> I, I mean he also supposedly yeah he he thought that uh came from ancient Rome but um right. didn't I don't think there's any evidence that I mean there's there's no evidence that it actually came from ancient Rome.
1: Jeez. Which is why to Bellamy salute. Yes. Which is why today when you're watching a sporting event in America and military jets go by, you can't criticize uh, because to criticize any part of the flag, the men in uniform, the the military, even though it has nothing to do with the sporting event, you're attacking America, you're attacking God, you're attacking the American way of life, you're attacking capitalism, you're attacking the entire package because thanks to these guys it's only one package and it's it's, it's, it's set in stone now. It's It, it would take almost a miracle no pun intended, to unpackage what these guys have been able to do with time and a whole bunch of money. So
0: in 1942, when Congress amended the flag code, they thought, hmm, <clears throat> seeing as the fascists are using the same salute, uh, maybe we should change it. <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. Was different. Only in, <laughs> it was only in 1942 that they changed the Bellamy salute from the... You know, what wow we think of today is the nazi salute right. to putting your hand over your heart yeah and it was funny because uh, i was in when i was in utah uh for the first time serve so eight years ago um i was there for um pioneers day parade that they had down the main street right. which again freaked me the fuck out <laughs> um and they were all, and they were all standing there with their hand over their heart. And I said, "Why do you do that? What's the hand over the heart thing? Do you know why you do that?" And they were like, um, <laughs> "No, not it's dead. just what you do." Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, but but wh- wh- why why do you do it? Do you know the history behind it? No, we just do it. And I said, "Well, originally you used to do this. Americans
1: did this. They were like, we did not, <laughs> you son of a shut bitch. up.'" You Satanist! I'm like, no, seriously, you used to American, did that for 50 odd years.
0: And then you changed it to this, but it was originally, they're like, you're evil!
1: Beat it with your Bible. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, fucking look it up, bitches. Yeah.
0: Um, Wow. Yeah, like Bellamy uh, introduced that in 1892, and then Mussolini picked it up, and then Hitler picked it up. And then the Americans in 1942
1: said, oh, well, I guess we should should do it differently. It's not a good look for us. Yeah.
0: Anywho, that is how Under God ended up in the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag in the United States and how America started to become overtly Christian during the Cold War. Yeah. Well, we will be back uh, when Ray... (laughs) Organises some interviews to tide us over while he's in Scotland. Aye, perfecting his Scottish accent so he can do the Scottish <laughs> accents from new on in the show. I'll try because because the Scottish play a huge role in Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> Not only kidding. <laughs> I don't think so. No, anyway, I think you're right. Who knows. To be sure, to be sure, that's ours.
1: An iron curtain has descended across the continent.
0: An iron curtain has descended across the continent.